Hey everyone, so nice to see you, I mean hear you again, actually I can't even hear you, what the hell, little Scotty here, recording another version of, what do I have to do, drive a nail through your head, famous sayings by my father, that was one of them, um, if you didn't listen to the first uh, podcast or the second one, I think I explained it in both, uh, the reason for the name is uh, my father and I were uh, going out in a Volkswagen bug to try to learn how to drive. At least I was trying to learn how to drive. I was 15, had my learner's permit. I was all in order. My dad um, is a six foot four, or was a six foot four, I should say, um, 265 pound monster. And I at the time was probably a six foot, maybe one, six foot even. 250 pound monster and we're shoved into a Volkswagen Beetle with four speeds so needless to say fun ride anyway my dad decided that he was gonna sit in the passenger seat and you know ride shotgun and give me advice which is always fun and no pressure at all before I knew it he was uh, pressuring me and the reason was uh, because I was basically mimicking him in some of his driving skills. So, what happened was, we came up upon a light that had turned yellow, and I did what he always did. I floored it so we would make it through the yellow light. Now, my dad immediately got angry and said, What are you doing? And I said, I'm doing what you do. You usually try to go through the yellow light really fast so that we can make it through. And uh, all my brothers and sisters would fly over to the right side of the car in the, um, you know, spectacular maneuver he was making. Um, The Volkswagen Bug was my mom's car. I think we paid $200 for it. My dad had a company car, so obviously we couldn't touch that. So the second light comes around, and sure enough, same thing happens. And I blow through it, you know, going straight, blow right through the yellow light made it, you know, it didn't turn red when I was in there, but he he got angry again and said, you know, this is ridiculous. You have to stop for yellow lights. You can't just fly through them. I said, dad, you do it all the time. I'm, I'm just doing what you do, what I've seen you do. Don't, you know, that famous saying that John Mellencamp had in one of his songs, uh, do as I say and not as I do. Yeah, well, that's what he said. That's not the famous saying though. He basically told me, you know, don't do it again. I, on the third light, it went yellow, and as a natural reaction, I floored it and went through the yellow light, and this time, I probably didn't make it all the way through before it turned red. Now, my dad didn't say anything immediately, but I knew he was cooking something up in his brain. So he turned at me and looked hard and said, what do I have to do, drive a nail through your head? Which was his way of saying, could you please stop running yellow lights, which would have worked just as effectively as driving a nail through my head. Now me, sitting in the driver's seat, is picturing a nail going through my head and wondering how he's going to do it. I'm thinking a hammer because he never had an air gun. But, uh, you know... In general, not something you want to say to one of your, you know, 
children when they're trying to learn how to drive. But yet, he did it. Now, I had driven the car many times, sneaking it out, and also my mom was kind of a softy sometimes, and she'd let me go by myself. You know, I'd driven my friend's cars, and I had no problem driving. It wasn't a big deal. And besides that, they gave you driver's ed in high school, and they gave you a nice car to drive, which was great, because I knew I was going to be driving junk cars most of the time. But... To say the least, um, it was a day I'd never forget because I thought, you know, of all the parental sayings you could put out there, driving a nail through your head is not a choice one, I think. So maybe uh, you have a story like this, um, something you want to share with me. Um, my email address for this channel is what do I have to do? Drive a nail through your head at gmail.com. If that doesn't get you anywhere, try drive a nail through your head at gmail.com. I can't remember which one I did, so it's one or the other. But anyhow, try the shorter one first. I think that's the one I did. So um, send me your favorite dad stories or mom stories, those things that they said. If it's something really uh, bordering on child abuse, let's stay away from that. But if it is something that is funny and, you know, you still think about it to this day, I'd love to hear it. I really would. I also want to let everybody know that I'm going to change up things a little bit um, on the channel. I want to do a lot about raising children and, you know, the, the things that I've been touching on already. But I also want to throw some of my uh, opinions in and other things about the world today and what's going on in our country and how this COVID-19 thing has got us all tied up in knots and uh, how many people have lost loved ones. It's pretty sad. Um, some of these first responders are taking the biggest hit in the world. I still think that uh, we have to learn to respect these people more than you'll ever believe. I worked in the medical field for 33 years and it is one of the most unappreciated, that's the word, way to make a buck. Let me tell you, if I had a dime for every child, I did an echo on and saved um, from probably having some sort of major problem later on. Um, I wouldn't be rich, but I'd be pretty wealthy. Think about these guys who go into... Some of the roughest parts of... I live near Chicago, so there's some pretty rough spots in Chicago, let me tell you. And these guys are, you know, running into fires and they're running in to save uh, people who've just been shot. And, and, you know, there's still guns laying around from the police, you know, getting there and calling the ambulance. And they're not afraid. They get in, they, they do the work that they need to do. They try to save a life and, you know, they barely get a thank you from anybody so I'm going to be the one who says thank you, not only to me, but to everybody, everybody in the medical field, everybody in the fire department, everybody in the police department. First off, we need to double their salaries at least. And that goes for teachers, too. We treat teachers like shit. Pardon the bad word. I'm sorry, um, but it's true. And we get angry with them when you don't agree with something they're teaching or when they have to, 
you know, put your spoiled little kid in the corner or whatever they may do because, you know, they're hitting other kids or they're misbehaving in class. And, of course, you don't believe that your little Johnny could possibly do something like that. But, you know, there's video in a lot of these places now. So they could show you the video and show you what the kid's doing. So be careful what you think because sometimes they can put it right in your face. Teachers, all those people, they, they just deserve more money. It's, you know, we're, we're trusting them with the education of our children. We're trusting them to go into high school. You know, I'm talking about grade school teachers and high school teachers. You know, the high school teachers, we're trusting them to get these kids into a good college. And it's like nobody gives them any appreciation. You know, you get someone who's been working there 20 years or 30 years as a teacher who is still excited about their job, still excited when they get someone who ends up with a scholarship for the course that they're taking. And, you know, they're barely making, I mean, if they're lucky, they're making $90,000 a year. And that's if they're lucky. Now, that may seem like a lot, but if you take someone who's in a financial institution, who's been working there for 20 or 30 years, who's been just shuffling papers around and making sure that you know, all the clients make a little money and uh, get a good percentage of that thrown back at them. You know, that guy's making $300,000 a year and he's not responsible for anything but money. I think we spend a little bit too much time talking about and worrying about money and not, not enough time worrying about the people who are responsible for teaching these kids and also saving these lives. So anyways, I'll get off my soapbox now. I'm going to occasionally go out on my on my soapbox and talk a little bit about these things because I think it's important that we know what's going on in the world and you know I may get up there and start talking about politics you may turn the channel off it's okay I understand but most of the time I think I'm going to try to be talking about raising children it's just easier for me I I raised 4 they all turned out great they're all in good jobs. Even the youngest one is only 23, got a job. And she's working on her master's, and she got a really good job. And I'm really proud of all of them. Does that make me an absolute expert in this? No, it does not. Not at all. Um, but what it does make me is somebody who has been through it already. And if you're just going through it now, I might be able to help you. Hopefully. Um, today, I thought I'd talk about the favorite of most people, the teenager in your house. The one you wondered if they maybe ate the small child that used to be there. And now you've got this rabid, crazy teenager yelling back at you all the time for the silliest things like, I can't find my iPhone and I know you took it. And you don't remember taking it because you didn't. She lost it. It's in the couch cushions. Look in the couch cushions. It's always in the couch cushions. But anyhow, I was lucky. I could give a look to one of my teenagers when they were getting a little mouthy and uh, they would pretty much stop. I didn't have to ever hit my kids, but boy, I could give them a look like I was gonna. They would usually back off and not give their mother or me any more trouble. But I had a special... I had a special group, a group that is unusual, not something that you see all the time. Um, 
You, on the other hand, may have one that's a screamer, that's always yelling at you, that doesn't appreciate anything you do, is constantly giving you crap no matter what. I think what you need to do is first off take a, take a step back and look at what you're saying to the kid and how that's going in the sense of is it working or is it not working. Nobody likes a martyr. If you're one of those people who complains all the time about what you had to do as a kid and about how terrible your parents were in the sense of, you know, oh my God, if I said that to my mom, I would be beaten like you wouldn't believe and thrown out of the house. Eh, You probably wouldn't have been, but you make it sound like it would have happened. The truth is, the way you talk to your child will reflect right back to you based on the kid's attitude and the way they really want to talk to you, which is in a civil tone, not yelling at you. I found that if I talk to them in a civil way and just try to work out the problem that way and to listen to their point of view, that's the biggest problem I see in most parents is they won't listen to their kid's point of view. You know, it's my way or the highway. Well, got news for you, that doesn't work. And some kids will take the highway. They will leave. Uh, I've seen it happen before. You know, they go stay with a friend. The friend's parents are nice. They stay with the friend as long as they want because the friend's parents are okay with it and they'll give you an argument about it. Well, if you can't treat this kid well, then I will, you know, and the kid will be 18 years old and there's nothing you could do about it. So think about what you're saying to your kid. I mean, if you're screaming at your kid all the time and just picking fights and yelling about things that don't matter, one of my favorite things that does not matter is what your kid's room looks like. I've heard so many parents screaming and yelling at their teenager about what a mess their room is. You know what? We put doors on uh, the entrance of a room for a reason. It's to close the door. If it looks like crap in there, pardon, I almost caught myself, or I did catch myself, um, close the door and don't look at it, you know? And if they complain that they can't find something, then tell them to go look in their room. And when they say, well, I can't find anything in there, then you say, then clean your room. And they can't balk on that. They have to say, well, yeah, my room's a mess. I probably did lose it in there, you know? So it'll come back to them. You'll be able to, you know, get them on the clean room. But, you know, for the time being, just close the door. Don't look at it. Let them live like a slob for a while. And you know what? If you have to close the door, just close the door. Don't make a big deal out of it. You know, sometimes parents have a tendency to make a big deal out of everything. And then they wonder why the kids act in the way they do. Always yelling back, always screaming, always giving them a hard time. You know what? It really doesn't matter, you know, if their room is a mess. It's just you have an easy way to fix it. Close the door. And, you know, someday they will learn that having a messy room or a messy house or a messy apartment is not something you want, you know, because the first time they invite friends over and the place is a mess, they're going to be so embarrassed, you know, when someone says, How do you find anything in here? 
you know, then all of a sudden things are going to change. It happened with my youngest daughter. You know, she was notorious for a trashed room. And then all of a sudden, you know, she's starting to have friends over at her apartment. And some of them mentioned, I don't know how you find anything in here, Dana. And uh, all of a sudden, Dana cleans her room now. And that's all to keep, you know, things in place and make sure that she can uh, actually see the house or see the apartment in her case. Yeah, it still gets dirty every once in a while, and it still goes a little bit uh, beyond, especially her bedroom. You know, she's uh, not somebody who makes the bed. I never have been either, so I can't, you know, give her a hard time about that. It happens with a lot of people, you know. Just don't make the bed. I'm getting back into it. I'm not making it. Well, in some circles, that would be suicide if you said that. Um, So remember, not everybody's made to you know, be the cleanest person in the world. All you can ask is that they wear clean clothes and that they occasionally clean up their room so that it looks presentable. If you're having Thanksgiving for a holiday, it's time to put the hammer down and have them clean their room. If they give you a hard time about it, tell them, well, then you can sit in your room for Thanksgiving. How's that sound? And they probably will change their mind because, you know, teenagers like to eat. Trust me. I paid more money in food than you'd ever believe. So I think that a lot of times we have to just ease up on things. If you're screaming at your teenager all the time and you're wondering why your teenager is screaming back, they're standing up for themselves. And you know what? That's something you really want them to do. You want them to be able to stand up for themselves. But if they're standing up for themselves and it's because you're saying something that is completely off the wall, you get mad because they're actually putting in a point that makes sense. Well, I got news for you. You're going to want them to do that when they get to be older. You're going to want them to be able to stand up for themselves. And a lot of times the kids who never stand up for themselves end up having trouble standing up for themselves in a work environment. And that's not good either. All right, let's get on to some other subjects. I was going over a few things today in my uh, bank account, and uh, which is not a pretty bank account. It's just a bank account. I realized that one of the things that I do is spoil my children a little too much, a little too often. That's my fault. I got to take responsibility for that. And now that I have a grandchild, it's even worse. I have a crystal collection that I use for, I I do some tarot readings. I know that sounds a little weird, but I do. She really loves looking at the tarot crystals. I keep them in a glass jar and she really likes just taking them out. I try to name what they are and she says, oh, and then keeps moving. So I ordered her one today and it's a heart crystal. It's some sort of tourmalite. I can't remember what exactly it is. If you have a geology degree, you'll probably say I'm still wrong. So, But it's a heart shape, so obviously someone's been working on the grinder to get it that way, but still a very pretty stone. Did I need to buy her that? No, I didn't. Did I have the right to buy her that? Yes, I do. See, because one of the things I want to tell you about is... In the beginning of this podcast, I mentioned about how 
my dad actually said, uh, do I have to drive a nail through your head? And I want to tell you what happens when a uh, father becomes a grandfather. The things that were pretty normal in uh, the father's life, the sometimes the yelling, sometimes the things that they had to say to keep everybody in line, that seems to disappear with the grandchild. Um, the grandchild pretty much can do everything. Uh, crawl all over the grandfather, um, pull his hair, doesn't matter. You let it go because this is the cutest child you've seen in a while because all yours are grown up and now you've got a baby to play with and I love babies and I love them when they get to be older. Mine is five now and the way she talks is so funny and we have a great time together. Now the reason why I brought this up was because my father babysat my two boys when they were probably two and four years old. They were still in diapers. My son was a little bit of a late bloomer when it comes to diapers. He went from being this growling, massive, yelling, screaming, sweat on the brow every time he started talking to you like he was about ready to kill you. Maybe a knife, maybe a gun. I don't think he ever had a gun, but you know, whatever was handy. You know, he used to work in the garage a lot. Maybe a wrench. Who knows? But... He went from being a person like that to being the softest, most loving man I had ever seen. And I kept telling the children, this is not the same guy that I grew up with. This is someone else. I don't know what happened to him. He's gone now, and he's been replaced by this man. My dad used to sit there on my recliner when I went to work, and I'd come home from work, and those boys would be asleep in his lap, and he'd have the biggest smile on his face when I walked in the door. Like, this is the coolest thing ever. And he was so excited just to have them there and be babysitting them. And I, d I just don't know what happened to him. I really don't. All of a sudden, different guy, different place, and a completely different attitude. I would tell my wife, you know, this is just not the same man. It's a different guy. He's changed so much. It's just, you know, he used to tell me that if uh, if I had known grandkids were going to be this much fun, I would have been much easier on their parents. And uh, I think he really meant that. <laughs> but anyhow, he's he turned into this softy, and it was so fun to watch. And they had... I think when they passed away there was 13 grandchildren and they treated all of them equally they loved all of them all over the place my mom would have all the girls over to make cookies and just make a mess of her kitchen which she probably spent three hours cleaning up later on but she loved it and uh, my dad you know would help them learn how to play basketball my dad was a uh, all-city basketball player for Chicago in the 1950s. Like I said, he was six foot four. well, between 6'4 and 6'5, so back then he was very, very tall for that time. So anyways, it's pretty impressive to, uh, to see a guy that size, you know, dominate in a basketball league or basketball, you know, season. I really wish I could have been there to watch it. He had a couple of news articles that 
had pictures of him in there and telling stories about what he did and how many points he got. And it was always fun to read those. He didn't bring them out all the time. It was just every once in a while I'd spot him in a box, you know, that he'd be looking through and I'd be like, what is that? And, you know, read about it and read. He was a pretty big star in Chicago. So watching this man turn into this softy was actually the coolest thing I had ever seen him do. He was a pretty, I mean, he was out of control sometimes, but, you know, most of the time he was pretty fair. He just was loud, and his bark was probably worse than his bite when he got older. Um, When we were kids, he was pretty physical, so that is a little bit scarring, but I think a lot of parents were pretty physical back then. So not a lot you can do about that, but it's the way it was. It's the way they were trained to be parents, and... I got news for you. When they're trained that way, they're not going to change. They're going to just do what their parents did. And that's probably the biggest mistake you can do. One of the things I got to say to everybody is, what did your parents do to you that you really hated, that you thought was just outrageous? If you do that same thing to your kids, then you deserve to be knocked around. If, If it was that painful for you, why would you do that to that kid? Why would you make that kid go through the same thing you went through that hurts you so physically and mentally that it's still fresh in your memory, you know, 40 years later or something like that? Think about that the next time you're going to go punish a kid and that comes up into your head. You know, you want to make sure you're not known for being the guy who did something really obnoxious to a child that child still remembers it and then goes and tells his therapist all about how he hates his dad and, you know, hates the way he treated him. And, you know, you may think that's weak, but there are a lot of people in therapy and a lot of them are talking about their parents. So try not to be one of those people. Try to be a decent parent. You know, keep your voice at a steady range. Make sure they know who's boss, but do not scar them the way you were scarred because you think it's the right way to do it. It's not. If you notice that you still remember it and you're, you know, 40 years old and you remember that vicious, you know, beating you got, well, don't think that going ahead and doing that to your child is the right way to punish them. It's not. It's the wrong way to punish them. And you know it. Don't do it just because your parents did it. That's wrong. It's just flat out wrong. So anyhow, we're getting to the end here, and I just want to say thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. I hope you'll listen to the next one, which should be in a day or two. Talk to you later.